Welcome to About Empathy, a podcast that focuses on patient, caregiver, and healthcare providers' experiences with serious illness. I'm Dr. Dori Sekaracia. I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani. And I'm Dr. Irene Ying. We are physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. Our clinical experiences have taught us that there is great wisdom to be learned from the stories of the people we care for and work with every single day. This podcast gives voice to the patient and caregiver experience and what these stories can teach all of us. Today's episode is centered around gratitude. It's sometimes hard to imagine how gratitude can emerge when facing a serious, life-threatening illness or when grieving the loss of a loved one. However, having a grateful mindset may help improve physical and psychological well-being in times of hardship. Our guest today is Shalom. He's here to share the story of his wife, Erminia. I met Erminia and Shalom at Sunnybrook when she decided to transition to palliative care in the context of her metastatic cancer. Erminia's gratitude and grace in the face of her illness were striking. I invited Shalom today to talk more about their experiences. Maybe we can start with how you and Erminia met. Well, it was really a classic love at first sight story. Uh, I walked into a, uh, a rock and roll uh, bar, saw Erminia across a crowded room, and it was love at first sight. Never looked back. How long were you and Erminia together? We were together for 27 years, married for 22 years. Today is our 22nd wedding anniversary. How's today been for you? It's rough. Thank you for coming to talk to us on really such an important day and on a day that you're thinking about Erminia in particular. So thank you. Well, it's it's appropriate. You were telling us earlier that uh, you still feel Erminia's presence in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, Erminia still communicates with me uh, on a regular basis. You know, before her passing, like many people, I went to funerals and memorial events and I heard talk of souls and spirits and I paid lip service to it, but I didn't really believe it. Well, now I know it to be true. Uh, so to give you an example, I was out of country recently, and I had a nightmare. And uh, in in the nightmare, uh, one of our cats, we heard it meowing, but we couldn't tell where the meowing was coming from. And finally, I found her. It was Kata. She was stuck in a closet and overheated. So in the dream, I told Armenia, this cat is badly overheated. We We have to get her to the vet ASAP. And then I woke up. And when I woke up, I thought, great, it was just a dream. I checked my messages. There was a, uh, a WhatsApp message from uh, the kid next door who was looking after the cats, and the message read, Shalom, it's getting really warm in your place. Is there any way I can turn up the air conditioning to make the cats more comfortable? I don't receive messages from her every day, but I do receive them periodically, and they're usually very specific in nature. How do these messages make you feel? Well, it's incredibly flattering that uh, Armenia chooses to keep communicating with me because she doesn't have to, but uh, I really appreciate it. I wanted to take you back to the time in hospital when we met, when Arminia's cancer was very advanced. I was wondering how her illness affected you and how it impacted you as her caregiver. 
Well, part of me, part of me dies with her. I'm never going to get over it, but it's an incredible privilege to be with someone and, and care for them uh, as they approach that, uh, that final, final moment. You know, as horrible as the circumstances were, I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to accompany her on that, on that journey. And you were so supportive at that time. I remember that in particular. I know that she really counted on you and, and looked to you, which I think you see definitely as an honor. Did it have any unintended or negative consequences for you? No, the process didn't have any unintended or negative consequences, although I must say, as I told you before, I was very impressed with uh, with your team and uh, the way you you supported us and the way that you you know genuinely cared for her and, and your passion for your work. And it's interesting because you know there's so much front runnerism in today's society. We see this especially among professional athletes where, they come to a city, they play for a team for a couple of years, and then they say, okay, I want to win a championship, so I want to go to this team or that team where I can play with this player or that player. I've got to win a championship. Well, you guys in Palliative, you're kind of the opposite, where you say, okay, give me the toughest set of circumstances. Uh, I mean, we all know what the deal is in palliative care. Everybody's going to die. And the way you care for people and the way you support them and the way you make them feel important uh, in those final days. Because it's well known that when people are going through that transition, when they're getting ready to leave their body, the most important thing is that they feel loved and that they feel that their life mattered. And, <laughs> and you know, you, to me, the people who work in palliative are, are the real heroes. I, I don't know how you do it. Uh, but you you certainly deserve uh, a lot of a lot of kudos for it. That's really kind. Thank you for saying that. I think it's interesting how you said it was an honor taking care of Arminia. I think for us in the work that we do, it's a privilege meeting people like you and doing our best to help in whatever way we can. Even you know, we we can't cure an illness and we can't avoid death, but we can do our best to make sure that um, her values were at the forefront. So thank you. I think one of the things that we love the most about the work that we do is finding out who the patient is, finding out about their story. And um, I didn't know Arminia, but um, I would love to hear a little bit more about, could you um, talk about what kind of person she was, what it, what it was about her that you loved? I would love to hear more about that. Well, I mean, Armenia was a unique person. She had a an incredible personality. Uh, she loved animals. We had, uh, at peak, seven cats. <laughs> we now have two. And, uh, I mean, the way she cared for them and the way she interacted with them was amazing. And actually, uh, some of these uh, communications that I've referred to uh, relate to the cats, like the, the episode that I, I mentioned. And she was a teacher and a guidance counselor, and uh, a lot of her uh, uh, former colleagues and students uh, showed up, and I'm still in communication with them. So she had a lasting impact on, on a lot of people, not just me. I think what really struck me 
about Erminia is that when she made the decision to transition to palliative care, once she made that decision, she was very at peace with it, which we, we don't see very much. How did you feel about her making that decision? Uh, I was really surprised and uh, that she was able to arrive at a place where she was at peace with that. But from the moment she made that decision, everything changed for the better. Because, uh, I mean, obviously we were both at war with the whole process. And, uh, I mean, even right up until the final minute, I was I was hopeful that this would change or that would change or this would get better, that would get better, we'd get a better test result. And, and uh, I mean, the way she made that decision and the way she spent the last few weeks of her life showed such incredible dignity. I only hope that when my time comes, I can transition to the next stage with equal dignity and courage. I don't think I'll be able to, but, you know, she, she was... She has incredible power. She was very remarkable. Her her gratitude and her um, spirituality in in the face of this very aggressive illness left um, a mark on me. I, I'll always remember that. And I think you've talked about her her spirituality as as well uh, to me. Um, do you think that helped her, or how did it help her? Uh, it definitely helped her, because she understood that uh, she was preparing to leave her body and that her life would continue on in, in another form. And uh, she really came to a place uh, where she was at peace with it. Mm. I mean, I'm not at peace with it. I'm still mm. angry. Mm-hmm. I'm still you know, incredibly hurt. It's not fair, but, you know, she really, she really showed, showed us all a shining example. Mm -hmm. This is, it's so, it's so tough. And I really admire you for talking about this in the midst of your grief, being willing to talk about Erminia and your relationship and the impact that her death has had on you you have to remind yourself to mix in a little gratitude with the grief. Mm. So, uh, you know, I try to maintain a gratitude journal. Uh, mm. in, in, in a perfect world, I'll mm. make three entries every day of things that I'm grateful for. Mm-hmm. can be anything. doesn't have to be big things. Mm. So in reality, I don't make three entries every day. Sometimes mm-hmm. I miss several days. But uh, uh, you just, it's hard, but you have to keep reminding yourself that, you know, we have much to be grateful for. And, uh, you know, with me, you know, a lot of it is the relationship that, that I had w- with her and how it's shaped my life going forward. I think gratitude is a such a great position to start from. And I think it's something that a lot of us miss out on. I think we ignore all the small graces that were granted in the day. So that's amazing that you try and work from that place of of gratitude, despite everything you've been through. Since we're talking about empathy, Mm -hmm. uh, I've sometimes thought that empathy isn't something that you can teach, that you either have Mm -hmm. it or you don't. So Mm -hmm. how do you feel about that? Because this is, Mm -hmm. uh, you work in palliative care, all of you work in palliative care. 
So uh, obviously, it's uh, it's incredibly uh, important mm. uh, how you relate to patients. Yeah, I think you have to be hopeful that empathy is something that uh, that that can be taught. I think otherwise. Um, what would we do if if it wasn't for you know being able to uh, to show empathy in the work that that we do? So I work from a place of hope in that right. even if someone doesn't have that natural tendency, that it's something that they can develop over time. Right, and I want to emphasize, you know, uh, my experience at Sunnybrook was that that I was thoroughly satisfied with the the technology and the technicians who were involved. So you know, a, a lot of us like to complain about doctors not having a great bedside manner. But the reality is, yeah, in a perfect world, you'd like somebody to be 100% empathetic and, and a great mm-hmm. technician at the same time. But in the real world, you really probably want the best technician. And if they're really empathetic, then that's wonderful. But I mean, given a choice between having somebody who has very poor technical skills, but is incredibly empathetic and a great technician who has a bad bedside manner, I'd, I'd take the latter. So, I hear that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you hear that a lot. I think my, I mean, this, I don't want to talk about this too much because I want to hear more about your experiences, but I think being empathetic makes somebody a better physician. That's sort of how I've gone about it because if you listen and you really hear about the concerns of the patient and the family, then you're better able to direct the treatment to something that's going to reflect their values and their wishes. So I don't think of them as being uh, mutually exclusive. I think one thing can enhance the other. They can complement each other. I think when you get to those technical specialties, it's hard to get in. Most of them are technically skilled. Just like Irene just said, if you have one that listens to you, they bring the skill is honed when they've listened to the patient. Because no matter how good that technical skill is, if you're not listening to the patient what they want and what's uh, what they think is best for them and you're matching your skill to them, I don't think you get the best outcome. So I think that's the, the important part. No matter how good technically they are, helping them develop empathy is always useful. And I I think that question you asked is so good, like, how do you teach it? And I always think of nature and nurture, you know, there's there's both. Hopefully, when people go into medicine, they're coming from a place of wanting to help. So I feel we have a foundation to build upon, no matter what their DNA skill, what they were born with, and their ability to, you know, uh, understand where someone's coming from they're going to have something that we can build upon. So that's the hope that even if it doesn't come natural, like it does to some people, that we'll be able to tap into that. Actually, this conversation is a a really good segue because one of the questions we wanted to ask you was in thinking about the healthcare team and the people who were taking care of Erminia and and who were there for you, um, is there anything you wish that they knew about Erminia or about you that could have helped them provide better care. So when we're thinking about it, if you could answer for me, if only they knew, is there anything that that you can think of? If only they knew. I don't see any gaps in Mm -hmm. the process. I mean, uh, you know, right now my mission is to make sure that uh, as many as people, people as possible know Erminia's story and know what a great person she was. But uh, I think at that time, 
uh, whatever service could have been provided was provided. You know, the maximum empathy was uh, was provided at, at the time, and uh, I, I never felt that anybody was was missing anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean. It's incredible. Like, just imagine that you're moving. You're you're moving from Toronto to Vancouver. You're moving out of country. So, what would be the worst case scenario? Nobody shows up to see you off, or people show off up, but they're distracted. So, what you really want is you want everybody to really tell tell you how much they love you, and how much they're going to miss you. And you know, uh, I mean, Armenia and everybody in palliative. They're not just leaving the city or the country. They're leaving their life. This is the ultimate departure. And so, you know, I I mean, I really felt that, uh, I mean, you guys loved her, you know, and and she felt it. And that really helped. I mean, I I can't think of a mission that's more important. I have to say it's so reassuring to hear you say that you felt like, she had what she needed and that you had what you needed in that time. It's, it's in- incredibly, incredibly affirming. So thank you. You're welcome. We're going to take a short break. You're listening to About Empathy. About Empathy is recorded at Wellspring. Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them overcome the many emotional, social, practical, informational, physical, and functional challenges that typically follow a diagnosis. No referral is necessary, and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. Visit wellspring.ca to find a center location near you. About Empathy is made possible through education, research, and scholarship grant funding from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Sunnybrook is committed to patient engagement and care. By partnering with Sunnybrook, we hope that this podcast embeds patient and family experiences in all teaching and learning. To learn more about the education initiatives at Sunnybrook, visit sunnybrook.ca. Welcome back to About Empathy and today's episode about gratitude. Dory and Irene, let's chat a little about our conversation with Shalom. I think I was really touched by how grateful he was for the care that you provided, Giovanna. And I think a lot of that stemmed from just genuine interest in who his wife was as a person. You could tell from the stories Um, that he was so proud of her as a person and you really helped to um, bring that out in her in, you know, a very difficult time for them. That that really stood out for me. I I didn't know her uh, at all, but you really got a sense from spending such a small amount of time with him, just how connected he was to her how important she was to him. He still feels this connection because of the story he told with with the dream. It's quite, it's always so fascinating to me when these things happen and we can't explain them. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that closeness and connection, he did say more than once how grateful he was for the care that was provided to her. 
at, at all stages of it, but especially from the palliative care team. But even when you asked him that question at the end, he really didn't say anything where um, if they only knew. It was very uh, touching to me. And he said, you know, I'm still not over this. I'm still angry. He became tearful completely understandably. Um, so he's still emotional, but when it came to the care that was provided to a person that was so important to him, he was grateful, and that was quite beautiful. I think that's helped him cope a lot because, you know, I think at the time when he was going through all of this, when his wife was very sick, there probably were things at that time he wished people knew, but because he felt so well cared for, it's helped him cope a lot that sort of in hindsight now, he, even though he's still angry or upset or wish things had gone a different way, he's, he doesn't sound regretful or resentful. It's really helped him move past all of that. Um, and also with the experiences he's having now with um, his wife coming back to help him in, in certain ways, like mm-hmm. protecting the cats, mm-hmm. um, he feels like he's left with this gift from her that he's still, she's still looking out for him. And that gratitude, I think, is also helping him a lot in dealing with, um, you know, the difficulties Mm -hmm. of of bereavement. Mm. I think I really, I really feel touched that he felt grateful for the care. I, that doesn't always happen. I think it's hard for people to transition to to palliative care and to the end of their life. And I think a lot of people fight it, understandably. And so, you know, I'm glad he was grateful for the care. I have to say I was really grateful um, because I felt like I learned a lot from her about grace, just grace under terrible circumstances and feeling at peace with um, a terrible situation. And so I felt grateful because I learned from her and I just, I was, I was in awe to be honest because I was thinking about myself and if I was in that situation, I don't think I would be graceful in that situation at all, which is, I think what Shalom also said, he said, you know, she, you know, took it with such a, uh, a peacefulness and and really she was so loving and and just so kind and he said oh that wouldn't be me and I yes. and I don't think that would be me either so I was grateful because I feel like I learned a lot from her so I, I think it's it's just ironic because it, it the, it's gone both ways can you think of an example Giovanna because I didn't meet her can mm-hmm. you tell me one of those instances where you were in awe of of her gracefulness and I, I think it was the day that she decided that she was going to transition to the palliative care unit because before that there was some discussion about whether she would go home or or go to palliative care and so before I saw her that day Shalom and I chatted in the hallway and I said oh you know really we should talk about this what does she want you know what would be important to her and we talked a little bit about how that would be a really challenging conversation because our sense was that she wanted to go home no matter what okay. and then we walked into the room and then even before she started talking um, about anything and even before I asked her a single question she said I've decided I'm going to palliative care 
And so I was taken aback Mm because I thought to myself, she is five steps ahead of me. She's five steps ahead of all of us. You know, when I think I'm going in to, to guide a conversation, Erminia was, I'm ready. She was there. I'm done. She she was there. (laughs) So I think that was to me an example of just her being just so in tune with what she needed and what she wanted. And we don't always get to see that. That's right? true. And it's hard. Um, that's one of the challenges of yeah. the work we do. Yeah. And it does feel nice for us when we we see that mm-hmm. in a patient, when they f- find peace in mm-hmm. such difficult, horrible circumstances mm-hmm. sometimes. What do you think gave Arminia the strength to... Uh, make this decision like that because I mean I think a certain amount of it we would say oh it's it's just someone's sort of innate personality but there's also like certainly other aspects in terms of the support that they get or we alluded to her spirituality Mm -hmm. like can you think back and think about maybe a specific thing or factors that helped her Mm -hmm. cope with this? You know, what's interesting is I, I didn't know Erminia for a very long time. There, there's some patients we know for years and we see them for years. I knew her for weeks. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know her wow. for a very long time at all. But I feel like I, I did get to know her quite a bit, even in that short period of time. Um, I think her spirituality and her feeling that even if her body died, um, she would go on. Her soul would go on and there would be a better place for her a place where there wouldn't be any suffering. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that brought her a sense of it'll be okay. But I, you know, I don't know her the way Shalom knows her. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure if that's all of it, but that's the part that I saw. Well, that really came out in his story about Mm -hmm. her in these ways that she comes back in dreams Mm. uh, to him and Mm -hmm. that staying connected. So Mm -hmm. that, that's very, very special. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know her very long, but um, Shalom was kind enough to invite me to her memorial service. And I went to her memorial service and there were pictures, huge pictures blown up of Arminia throughout her life wow. from when she was little to to now. And it was, I, you know, I love that. I love seeing pictures of people before the the illness changes their their appearance and sometimes changes who they are. And it was just... Um, I was, I felt so honored to see what she was like even before. So I was, I was also grateful that he invited me to the memorial because I got a little glimpse of also what she was like before and all the people who loved her. And he was right. There was, there was not an empty seat and there were people standing at the back. It's just, you know, wanting to honor her. So I was, I was grateful for that. She obviously touched a lot of people. She really did. She really did. So not just me, but people here and, and really all over the world. So I'm thankful for, for having met her, even for that short period of time. I think the more I oftentimes find out about patients, the easier it is for me to care for them because mm-hmm. sometimes they are going through the hardest part of their lives um, and knowing just a little thing about them, like what their hobbies were or you know where they grew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives me such a personal connection to them. Um, and so I can't imagine how going to that memorial service and seeing these photos from before she was diagnosed with cancer, like it gives you a window into this whole other aspect of their lives. Mm-hmm. I would describe it as a sadness because she was gone, but also um, a uh, like a, a fondness. 
a fondness for her. And uh, um, it just, it also, I left there feeling like I'm so glad I knew this person. That's the gift of our job. Thanks for listening to this episode of About Empathy. We hope the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic interactions. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Subscribe to About Empathy to get a new episode each week. We would love if you could rate and review our podcast, and please tell your health professional, your colleagues, and your friends about our show. You can visit our website, aboutempathy.com, for more information and to read the show notes from today's episode. You can also be part of our research project. We're conducting a short three-minute anonymous survey to inform us on the content you get out of each episode. Visit our website, aboutempathy.com, and click on the Take Survey button in the top right corner. About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sekaracha, and Irene Ying. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner, with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. The podcast is recorded on-site at Wellspring and funded by an education, research, and scholarship grant through Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Visit us at aboutempathy.com.